A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode, and we'll look back at Joss Whedon's iconic shows. I'm MC, and I'm here with... What up? It's Andy. And this is David. And I'm Logan. We are talking about Amends, which is episode 10 of season 3, and originally aired December 15th, 1998, and was written and directed by Joss Whedon himself. Who? (laughs) <laughs> Who's that guy? He's an obscure director. He turns up every once right. in a while. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Probably never heard of him. Oh, doesn't he usually do like Shakespeare and stuff? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Let's uh, talk about MC's favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound like Andy feels about Teacher's Pet. This is not. Okay, teacher's it's not pet. that bad. <laughs> it's just. It's this episode. But we start out this episode. With a flashback in Dublin in 1838. Prepare for bad accent theater. This is... <laughs> I, I, I've got to say that the sets are very reminiscent of, like, Doctor Who, very clean, mm. Victorian, like, you know, like, what it doesn't really look like, all these pretty sets and these... So it was very... I watch this episode every year at Christmas, just because mm. it's a Christmas episode of Buffy, oh, so... so do I. I mean, as much as I don't... I'm not really into it. I still watch it every year. And I'm super into flashbacks. I thought this was pretty cool. And I did. It reminded me of a Doctor Who, you know. Yeah, it does it does look like um oh the one with Charles the one with Charles Dickens. Oh, uh, yes, it yeah. does. It does, yeah. I did find it really strange that the Angelus's conversation with Daniel, because it's like Angelus is a poker player and he lets somebody go with a debt. And I'm like, is this Angelus playing with his food? I, I think so, yeah. I think so, too. I'm just surprised that Angelus or Angel would be any good at poker. <laughs> but doesn't he play with the Rat Pack? Or he just hangs with them? He hangs with them. I don't think he ever said that. I don't know he if he plays played. poker with them, but I'd like neither of them strike me as someone who would have an anywhere decent poker face. Like, you can read them like a book. <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's the them thing that's yeah well killing me i mean they're two different people legitimately yeah, but it's right the scene goes and it's angel's dream so he goes out to walk the streets of sunnydale mm-hmm. and he runs into buffy and just buffy oh, bangs oh i know God. i've got it they're the worst buffy hair of all they're time unbelievable what happened was there an accident I have to admit, I didn't really, like, note the bangs specifically, but she definitely looked different. Her, oh, it's, it's the baby the bangs. bangs. They've got, yeah, they're I'm so sure. tiny and just... They're awful. Yeah. I've had that happen to me. I went to get, like, okay, just skim them off right above my eyebrows. And they took them, like, halfway up my forehead and they made them... And I was like, what are you doing? And by that time, it was too late. And the only thing we could do to... It was awful. It was an awful couple of months while those things grew out. It was the mm. trauma. They're awful. And you can tell for the rest of the episode that the hair person is trying to hide them. <laughs> that part. And then they're just sort of like pop up. Like worst Buffy hair of all time. 
It is offensive to thine eyes. So are we saying the only person who should ever have bangs is Betty Page? No, I mean, I have bangs, but not that bad. Okay. (laughs) I have lovely, adorable bangs. You do. do. I think bangs have to at least be over an inch long, which Mm. were not. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's you must be this tall to ride situation. (laughs) They were. (laughs) Fucking rough. Angel's all tortured and he He's run into Buffy, and I have no real comment about this scene. Um, it's awkward. That's which I guess it should be, but I yeah, think it's awkward. From but, it, but it's also kind of all this scene does. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, awkward. it's it's cold open set up, and it's just kind of eh, okay. I was thinking about addressing this in the wrap up, but I can bring this up now. I think one of the reasons why I have a problem with this episode is because this and Anne, I think, are total backdoor pilots for Angel. Mm-hmm. Anne establishes the location and kind of the tone of it. Well, this one sets up Angel as his own character. This episode, more than any other Buffy episode, focuses on Angel. Even the episode with his own name, I don't think focused on Angel all that much. This one is establishing him. The only problem is they did not really get what they wanted to do with Angel as a character until, like, episode 10 or 11 of season (laughs) one of Angel. (laughs) It's it's funny that that's the... Yeah, yeah, I'm there, but it's funny that that's the purpose of this episode when the Angel bits are... Unless it concerns Jenny, my least favorite parts. (laughs) I'm more into... I, what I guess would be considered the B plot of this particular episode, the goings on with the scoops and stuff like that. So. And, and I remember in fandom around the time of season seven, when everybody started showing up, like that whole montage of big bads that show up in the credits, mm-hmm. not in the credits, in Spike's visions at the very, like at the beginning at the of very season, end of everyone's like, yeah. at the, some, people were like, no, it's got to be the first. And everyone's like, no, the first is so tied to Angel and Angel's thing that it can't possibly be the first. And it ended up being. The first, but that was a lot of the discourse mm-hmm. about what this is, and a lot of people were right, and a lot of people were like, "Oh, really?" <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll I'll get more into that later on once we right, uh, yeah, get we'll into what the first seven, is doing. But... but but yeah, no, I mean, like this episode is a backdoor pilot for Angel and a backdoor pilot for season seven, which is one of the reasons why I find this episode so jarring because it t- comes in the middle of season three. So much of the stuff in this episode does not get carried through until season seven. Mm-hmm. So it feels. Wait, did, they, did they know that they were going to use this oh, villain fuck for no. season seven? Oh, I fuck no, there's because no way. See, they just decided see, to bring it back. Yeah, that's this is why you because you keep saying backdoor pilot, and I I kind of I have a little trouble with that term for this because it's like backdoor pilot to me implies that there's intention to it. Well, I think with the angel stuff, I do think that it was yeah, very absolutely. intentional. Really? Yeah, I, I think I think with because uh, wasn't Angel already in the first well? Okay, I mean, b- when I'm saying backdoor pilot, uh, not for the not for the network, but for the audience trying to get the audience into ah. like the whole idea of Anne establishes you know Los Angeles and Angel and, and this episode establishes Angel. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of Angel stuff is apart from Buffy in this. Like there is like. Yeah. You know, there is their relationship, but it is very much establishing Angel as his own character. So, yeah, that's why I think it's kind of a backdoor pilot for Angel. It's yeah. kind of get uh, easing the audience into this idea of him as a leading man. 
It's certainly they're 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 trying it out on everyone is what they're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And certainly they do bring the first evil stuff over in season seven, which they did not plan for because Joss didn't plan to do seven seasons of Buffy. Mm-hmm. He was planning to end it with five. There was definitely no plan to bring any of the stuff back up again. Mm-hmm. It was just going yeah. to be that little Christmas play, basically. Yeah, I started seeing like that last season of Buffy as sort of a Babylon five uh situation where they're like oh wait we have to do another season now oh god what do we do yeah and season six is really what josh marty's well it's marty's but a lot of it the um the dark willow stuff that was all uh stuff that was going to be used in season five but joss decided when he got the pickup for season six he's like okay i'm actually going to take this stuff out and expand it into a whole season which Yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, moving on, uh, we get to the opening credits and then uh, Buffy talking to Willow and Xander about Angel and fuck you, Xander. Will- Buffy's actually worried about something. And also, I, 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 I was like, you know, she says enough. And I'm like, not only enough, not so loud. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, so and so. Well, you know, he tortured Giles. And it's like, there are people standing all around them. This oh, is yeah. like, it's like. Ah, this is why I had to stop watching Supergirl. <laughs> I actually, I, I was really upset at Xander and Willow in this scene because Buffy is legitimately concerned about Angel, and it does not come off like a no. you know, there's something wrong with my boyfriend thing. And Xander's dismissing it because he doesn't like Angel, and Willow is reading it very immaturely, or it's like maybe it's the Christmas blues. One of my next notes is Willow, shut up. Yeah, it's yeah, this is not a good scene for them. I was a little disappointed and and I know they still did it at the time, but later on in later seasons they hide it in the end credits. I was a little sad to see Rubby's name in the credits. Yeah. And yeah. have that spoiled. Again, shows weren't quite doing the hide it behind the end credits thing yet. Like they will. They'll they yeah. I, I they hit Giles's reveal. Yeah, in um, behind the go, credits yeah. in and yeah, and two to go, and and I think they hit all the the reveals in season seven of all the different big bads. You know, the first different big bads, but they hadn't quite learned that trick yet. Yeah, so I was sort of like, oh, I mean, obviously, I know she's in it. I've seen it a billion times, but I you mean, know. even when they had um, Vinny appear as Connor for the first time, they hit his name in the in the end credits, and he hadn't appeared on the show yet. So it's like right, it yeah, would have meant nothing sure. to have him in the opening credits. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, Willow and yeah, Willow and Xander here are really insensitive. I think they get much better through the episode. And this is one of the episodes where I don't hate Xander. Yeah. I that mean, much. It's, yeah. It's only in this opening little bit where he's yeah. being Xander that I have a problem with him. But other than that, I think he's pretty good. This is doubting Buffy. I mean, we see it oh, again it, later. It happens a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me of uh, a lot of Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, what, she literally has prophetic dreams. This is her job. She knows what she's talking about. Is it because you have these blinders about Angel? What's going on? <laughs> Stop yeah. it. I, and yeah. Willow, I think, bothers me even more than Xander. Because, I mean, everything Xander says, well, I mean, one, it's not exactly untrue. It's terribly put, but a lot mm-hmm. of it is, yeah, yeah I can kind of understand it. But Willow kind of dismissing it as being, you know, the holiday blues. It's like, Willow, come on. <laughs> it's Angel. Do you really think that's going to be his thing? Like, if Buffy is actually worried, I, I don't think 
Buffy's going to be worried because Angel's brooding because he does that all the time. That's his main hobby. It's um, a natural state. Yeah. So, so um, I have a question, and I guess this is for David, uh, because Jan is not with <laughs> us this week. And okay. so we've, we've only got one of our uh, Jewish co-hosts on. But is oh, okay. Willow's attitude at being annoyed at the phrase, what are you doing for Christmas, a normal Jewish attitude? Or is it? I'm sure there are Jewish people who feel that way. I certainly don't, and I don't think anyone I know does. I mean, really, because Christmas, you know, not to demean anyone who does treat it religiously, but let's face it, it's basically a secular holiday. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, like, and, like, Jews are like, yeah, whatever, it's Christmas. It's, I get a day off for it. It's a national holiday, whatever. I mean, I know it's based on Christian religion, but whatever. Yeah. That's the thing. So many Christian holidays <clears throat> get elevated to a national holiday status, That, especially like the major ones. That at this point, I think many Jews are just like, yeah, it's whatever. Kind and then we're like, like, hey, we're Jewish, so we get extra holidays. I was kind of wondering <laughs> if Willow was channeling her mother, because we will meet her mother in the Maybe. next episode. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, But yeah, like the re- um, the repeated mention of the Hanukkah spirit, which I did think was cute when Xander did it. But mm. in my head, I was like, isn't Hanukkah usually like over by this point? Because this is like it depends it on. It I know it varies, varies. but it te- but it seems to be like it, it's usually like really early in December. <clears throat> it's usually earlier, but like I think like just sometime in the last two couple years of years ago, I think it, it yeah, coincided. It yeah. coincided. So yeah, it does yeah. happen. It's, 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 speaking as someone whose birthday almost always falls on either Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur every few years, it's like. Yeah, the lunar cycle thing is just, you never know when it's going to fall. It can, it, it, it does happen. Okay, not, right on. Not totally infrequent. And, oh, Cordelia. Oh, Cordy, my girl. Yeah. And this is all she's here for. It's yeah. really. Uh, it, it's, it's to remind the audience mm-hmm. why she's not going to be in the rest of the episode, because she's going to Aspen. And also that there is still fallout from yeah. the badness. So, yeah, part, part of it is the Doyle is, this is for plot reasons and Christmas contract and episodes and stuff. But also to remind, to remind the audience that like, she's still around. She's still here and she's still salty, but she's only salty to Xander. That is, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, she's sarcastic to Willow and Buffy, but Mm -hmm. she's pointedly salty at Xander. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I know that Cordelia's heart was broken and I don't want to try to take that away from her. But what she says to Xander is harsh. It's very it harsh. Yeah. Ooh, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those scenes where I feel for Xander. Yeah. And just knowing that, I mean, obviously, I'm pretty sure Willow knows why he sleeps outside, but she's not going to say it out loud. Yeah. You right. know what I mean? Especially and, not then when they're in, there's a, a lot of people around. Yeah. Yeah. Buffy may well, or may not bit. know, but, but Willow definitely knows and would never say. And if Buffy did know, she would never say that out loud in front of people. But Cordelia is hurting and wants to wound him back. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And Xander actually kind of takes it. Yeah. He's like, hey, thanks for saying that thing that I didn't want him to know. But at this point, I think Xander's sort of like, "Mm, I'm just going to take Cordelia's shit because I fucked up. Oh, yeah. yeah. I I think, again, for me, the problem with the scene is it's like a lot of the things I have problems with throughout Buffy. It's like it's there 
as you say, it's there because we have to put Cordelia <clears throat> in for contractual reasons and to remind everyone about that plot line. But the thing is, it's done so bluntly and inartfully, unartfully, that it's just like you could have done just a better job of it. <laughs> it's 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 just it's just not well done. <clears throat> there are times when you have to put things in for plot reasons. Mm-hmm. And and the thing about good writing is that you do it in a way that doesn't make it stand out as this thing that's been slotted in. And they didn't do that. <laughs> I also have to say I felt the whole plotline of Sunnydale having a warm front was so ham-handedly handled. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, calling it Sweatydale and later on with the um, <laughs> with the fireplace and everything. It's just, it's all there to serve the magical ending. But yeah. it's... And no nev- one really acts like it's that hot. Nobody, if you actually... They're wearing their long sleeves and coats. They're wearing winter clothes. <laughs> yeah they are and, and it's so when it snows they've got pretty jackets on but like yeah. i will say you know what i love and it's a very small moment in the scene buffy's face is really soft towards cordelia like it's a nice little bit bit of like unspoken sort of facial acting yeah. that you know buffy even though cordelia said this harsh stuff keeps her face really soft and says you know it, it makes sort of a little joke with cordelia there um she's trying to be She's trying to not get in the middle of it and also show Cordy that, I mean, she could have had a better conversation with Cordy, but she's trying to show Cordy that she's not going to automatically defend Xander or get Mm -hmm. in the way of Cordy's anger. So it's just, it's very subtle. It's very small, but I liked it. She's trying, she's really, she's, what she's trying to do is support everyone. Yeah. I mean, she, she knows Cordy's hurting, but she also knows that she's lashing out and being kind of unfair to other people. And so she's like, trying to diffuse it a bit, but mm-hmm. in a way that isn't like, oh, Cordy, stop it. You're wrong. You know, she's <laughs> yeah. like, she does it in a way that doesn't undermine Cordelia's pain, but at the same time, it's like, maybe your, your actions are a little, little much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 she's basically kind of walking the line there in a good way. It really does break my heart that Xander sleeps outside every year because oh, yeah. his family is awful. Oh yeah. Uh, no. I don't it's excuse, I don't excuse Xander's behavior you know, his toxic masculinity, but it's definitely learned. And he does have a family that he very much wants to get away from. And when he comes to the library later, that's part of it. But yeah. also he wants to be with his chosen family yeah. in a moment. Of is, is this our first real indication of how horrible Xander's family is? Yes. Before this, they came off as more neglectful than anything else and Mm -hmm. this is the first time they've said outright that xander's family has alcoholics in it or at least Mm -hmm. people who abuse alcohol during family gatherings and it will certainly become more of a thing later on Mm -hmm. we won't get the a real look at it until i think restless when we see xander's dreams and mm-hmm. then in Hell's Bells, when we actually see the Harris family, and oh my god, we're <laughs> going to have things to say in that episode. Oh but we get into what I think is the best part of this episode. And he's doing a happy dance in the background. <laughs> and that is Oz coming into things. And oh my god, Oz is way too good and emotionally mature for Willow. <laughs> Yeah, Oz yeah. is way too good and emotionally mature for most people, regardless of their age. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm like, wow. I've, I've taken years of therapy to get to the place where I can talk about my 
wants and needs like Oscan and he's like 18 years old. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I this this is another place where I was like just like Willow, shut up. Because Oz has basically got the situation handled and she's just like, well really anything I can do and it's like just just shut up and let him talk. <laughs> really? But she does. She, I mean she she she, no, she, she, does. she does get the idea, but at first it's like she just interrupts him and is like, no, no, just just don't talk right now. As a hyperverbal person that <laughs> oh, has no. done that many times yeah. to my taciturn loved one, mm-hmm. I, I willow shut up, but like Andy, you know, and I'm sort of like, okay, yeah. but, Andy yeah. stop. but Andy shut up too. And yeah, he's so good at expressing fully and without reservation. There's no hesitation. There's no, you know, he just, oh God, Oz I mean, is it's, a it's perfect really, boyfriend. It's it's really very similar to when he told her to back off and leave him alone. Mm-hmm. He's very clear. He's not mean about it. He's just and and here he's not overly sentimental. He's just like this is how I feel. Yeah, these two those two scenes are really you know bookending each other because that mm-hmm. scene was I need time to process what's going on, and this scene is I've processed what was going on, and this is what I need going forward, and it's. Yeah, he's he's just so he's so fucking grown up. That line about losing an arm or worse, a torso is just like yep. so cute. Like there's some bad writing in this. That is not it. That is just no. like so powerfully like. I mean, I know I talk about using lines from Buffy, but I have only used that line once. And I mean, I didn't use that exact line, but that is how I described when I lost my mother. That's actually exactly how I described it when I lost my father. So I feel you hundred percent feel you on that. Yeah. See, that's the thing. It's this, and this is like when they're, when they're on, they, they do just such a great job mm-hmm. at this. They write stuff that's on the, sur- like on the face of it. It's just a very silly line, but it's a very real line at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a silly, it's kind of a silly way of putting it. It's got humor to it, but it's, mm-hmm. but it's very real. It's, it's like, it expresses exactly that feeling. Joss is very, very proud of this episode because of the writing in it. He says that some of the scenes have his best writing ever. I don't think that this is a very great episode in terms of plot or even Mm -hmm. what happens with the characters, but there are, there is some dialogue in it. And we know that Joss writes really great dialogue. It's like, yeah, this is very good writing. I just wish it was in an episode that I, that I kind of enjoyed more. And the way the acting is handled just, I mean, like it's, you know, a wordless moment, but when Oz and Willow hug and the way Oz cradles Willow's head and just, he closes Mm -hmm. his eyes, it makes me so happy but also in a way breaks my heart. I would also like to point out that Willow actually asks for consent before she hugs mm-hmm. him. That is like, true, is this yeah. a place we can hug? And it seems like she actually has taken his message to heart. And if he says, no, not quite right now, she would have backed off. Yeah. He's not going to say no, but like she does. She very explicitly asks for consent, which is big for Willow. Cause she hardly ever does that through the no. entire run of the show. Yes. No. Which is, why earlier I I um, I'm I'm not sure who was inclined to disagree with me, but um, in an earlier episode I suggested that Willow actually did listen to Oz and take his words to heart and give him the space he needed. Judging by her reaction to this, uh, him coming to her and talking. But what I really like about that hug is in the previous episode we see 
one of ostensibly at least in a different universe one of willow's lovers also cradle her head and it's an entirely different feel i, I love thought it so of much. that oh yeah, my god yeah, i did actually and I, that was actually the only moment where i ever bought willow and xander as a couple so yeah no it was, <laughs> agreed, agreed it was really agreed. nice yeah um, and it was me who was uh, disagreeing with you on uh, the right. Oz and Willow scene. So, yeah, I can definitely see where I was annoyed by it in, in that episode. But when it carries through into this one, it's like, okay, so it, it all does work out okay. Uh, and we move on to Buffy and Joyce tree shopping. Is having snow on a tree a thing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. What? Fake snow. The fake snow on a tree is totally a thing. I have never, okay. I've I never mean, done it, but there's a lot. It's of- an ugly thing, yeah. but it's a thing. No, I was like, as a Jew who lives in New York in an apartment, I've never had a tree. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I like, and whenever I see trees on TV, whenever they have a tree in a Christmas scene on TV, I don't. I don't remember ever seeing it covered in fake snow. The only time I've ever seen it on TV is when someone has a tacky tree and everybody points out how tacky it is. Uh, usually, <laughs> when I see fake snow these days, it's usually like an artificial tree where the fake snow is like actually yeah. like built onto mm-hmm. it. Oh, and I yeah, know you yeah. can buy like snow in a can that you can spray on the tree. Which you know, <laughs> if you have animals, do not do that because it's horrible for them. Uh, I've I've never had fake snow on a tree, but then I live in Canada, so that we get enough snow just in general. <laughs> that you don't need to put fake snow in a damn tree. Yeah. You're like, no, we want the damn thing green. It might be more of a like a California thing, and I, I don't oh. know if it happens in New Mexico, Andy. But no, it doesn't because the way we decorate is a lot different. Okay, like we have a lot more. Like we have trees. I'm not saying we don't have trees, but there's different traditions and decorations. Okay. Um, so just uh, like luminarios or also called favorolitos, uh, which are, um, basically just paper bags with a candle and sand in it. And they decorate some of us. I don't, I don't ever decorate, but I'm not Christian. So I'm sort of like, "Ah, I'm not decorating, but they, they like line your walkway and they line your driveway. And like a lot of people have them and they're absolutely gorgeous. And kids do that as a, not band, kind of like a band candy thing. The school band will go to people's houses oh, and yeah. sell and sell that and be like, hey, we're making luminarias. And would you like some for your house and driveway? How many would you like? And then the person pays them and they come in and buy in a truck later. And I mean, we again, we have Christmas trees, but we, we decorate a little differently based on the Southwestern okay. theme of our lives. Mm-hmm. So. And and I guess it also might have to do with just the, the nature of the, you know, ethnicity of the area aren't bringing trees inside a very dutch german sort of thing isn't that the history that's where of it? it originated yes yeah, yeah. and i mean that's i mean here there's tons of like people who historically come from dutch and, and german families so mm. we but i can't i honestly i don't think i've ever seen anybody ever put fake snow on a real tree <laughs> yeah and y'all i grew up in a trailer park so there's some tacky shit out there. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't really do that because we sort of just accept that we're not going to have any fucking snow. We used to. Global warming is making it 85 degrees at Christmas. It is sweaty Dale. Um, so we, comment and let us know how you celebrate your Christmas. Please do. If you celebrate Christmas, yeah. however you do your holidays. If you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever, let us know your traditions. We yes. like to... We like to hear from y'all and, you know, just personally how, how you how you do that. Uh, but yeah. we do get this. And I would say that it's a nice scene where Joyce is trying to reach out to Faith. Yeah. And, yeah. like, we'd given Joyce some heat and Faith hope and trick for letting Faith stay at this 
grungy motel all by herself. And I think well, the thing is, it's like Joyce is not responsible for Faith. Like, I don't know what Faith's legal status is. I- I'm guessing she's an emancipated minor. So it's not like Joyce can force Faith to come stay with them. But it's nice to be like, why don't you come over for Christmas dinner? Yeah, I had the realization that I'm not mad at Joyce like I was. I was like, what the fuck is Joyce? Because she's not that person's parent and she's not a watcher. The person I'm actually kind of salty with is Giles for just letting this kid. He would never let Buffy stay in a motel alone like that. He was looking for her so hardcore when, you know, she was missing and was living in L.A. Like she would even never let that happen. But he lets Faith, who's we have this discussion, older, younger. But even if she's just slightly older, I mean, when's the last time we saw Giles even interact with Faith? It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. I, I think this has been, like, my issue with Faith from the beginning. And Giles, as much as I love <clears throat> Giles, and you know I love Giles, huh. he is still a watcher. Buffy is an exception for him. I think it's mm-hmm. not a rule. that, And I think that he's treating Faith like he would treat any other Slayer that's not Buffy. Yep. Um, well, I, I don't think he's even doing that. Because, like I say, I was like, we haven't seen them interact well, at yeah. all. So it's like, I, you I, think at least he'd be, like talking to her about training or something. And we I mean, see I, nothing. I do assume that they have some interaction, like patrols and stuff like that. We're just not seeing it because it's not part of the storyline. It's not from Buffy's, but point, of Buffy's point of view. And most of it is. I don't, I suspect that he speaks with her, but yeah, it's pretty negligent on his part. And I, yeah, I realize that Joyce is trying. She's, mm-hmm. she's inviting her over. She's showing concern. I wouldn't be surprised if she has invited her over for other dinners and, Faith said no, and you know, so she's she's putting a hand out, but she's not. Her responsibility and her care is going to go towards her daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as she's not hearing about Faith doing or being abused or hurt, she's you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I love that Joyce is like let's let's invite Faith. Yeah, there's also the potential that she just expects Giles to take care of this child. Very, very true. true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great point. He's 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 responsible for. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, that makes a lot of sense. Very but, good point. The, but I think like Giles actually gets off incredibly light with everything that happens with Faith. Actually, mm-hmm. Wesley ends up taking yeah. a majority of the blame for what happens with Faith to the point where he gets freaking tortured when we get over onto Angel and Faith is putting every all of the failings onto Wesley. But yeah. I actually think by the time Wesley came in, there was a lot of damage done already. Faith and Buffy are very much treated like sisters, where one of them is the golden child and one of them is the black sheep, and Faith just really leans into it. Really? And it mm-hmm. does and it does come from Giles, so I might have liked to have seen some some scenes of him feeling that a bit more and have yeah have it not be as much put on to wesley which he did wesley did make mistakes like i'm not trying to excuse mm-hmm. what he did but yeah, yeah i mean giles is letting this you know probably 17 year old girl live on her own with no you know i mean why didn't you know uh, joyce doesn't want giles to come over because she's all awkward right. about the fact that they fucked so why doesn't like giles and faith have <laughs> christmas dinner together yeah yeah no but yeah. yeah it's very good points i do love in this scene that you know when buffy walks over to the trees her instinct is already kicking in yeah. and she's remember it's the, this episode really has a return of detective buffy which <clears throat> yeah, y'all know 
I love Detective Buffy and we don't see enough of that from her in later seasons. So I do. That's a real positive for me on that. I want to call her Encyclopedia Buffy now. <laughs> I love that. Let's do that. Yeah. I, I mean, I love Detective Buffy, but I'm a bit confused by this particular clue because the whole thing is that nothing will grow above or below where like the harbingers are like but trying to raise. They're not grow. They're already they're, cut. They're trees. already cut. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. I was like, eh. Yeah, no, that's really like what mm, Joss. Yeah, it's like they're they are dead. They are corpses. Like that's the whole joke. It's like that, you know, Christians take tree corpses and dress them up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Maybe there's like, you know, they're going with like that myth that hair and fingernails grow after death That's and true. taking it to trees <laughs> uh, yeah possibly. i mean well, yeah they're just it's... so big and bad and evil that their big bad evil fumes kill things possibly them. Um, make them wilt and of course this yeah. is also a little bit of mythos on the first that they immediately forget in season seven yep it yeah. just is never brought up and i mean yep. maybe it's because the harbingers have gotten by the way i like to call them the harbingers because i think that's a way better name than the bringers but maybe they got a bit hipper because i mean they do like in the, they're like hidden under like the winery or whatever so maybe there's nothing like growing mm. around it yeah it's like you know this didn't work out for us the first time so maybe we should just like not have shit growing where we're trying to raise the first right yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and Buffy goes to visit with Faith and to invite her to Christmas. And I mean, I'm not skeeving on her because I know how young she is, but Eliza looks seriously gorgeous in this scene. She's so pretty. Yeah, you know, like so she, beautiful. She's mm. not dressed up like she's dressed so cash, but she's gorgeous. Eliza Dushku is stunning. She's absolutely stunning. Yeah. I just like to look at pictures of grown up Eliza. Because she makes me have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, how how gorgeous Eliza really draws attention to just, like, the bangs really do, like, Sarah is gorgeous. <laughs> Sarah is really gorgeous, but those bangs really do, like, you know, detract from You know what, her good listen, looks. here's, for me, here's the beginning of, of Eliza's weird fucking haircut for the rest of the season, where whoever cut her hair didn't understand layers, because she's yeah. got, like, four inches in the back. It's just then start the layers around her face. And I'm like, y'all need to try harder. I don't know. Can I go back in time and fix everybody's hair? It's almost like the hairdresser got really drunk and tried to do the Rachel on her or something. Um, Failed. Yeah. Yeah, She's also also got some highlighting going on. So it's like, I have no idea what was going on with the hairdresser on Buffy for the, the middle of the season. But yeah, there was some not goodness. No bueno. I it breaks my heart that she's got all those Christmas lights up. I'm mm-hmm. like, Andy, try not to cry. It's just she's so lonely and then when Buffy approaches her, she's so shut down. Yeah. You know, yeah. and she makes this thing up about a party and Buffy obviously knows that's not what's going oh, on, yeah. but like just this short scene, I just It's not only does Buffy know that that's not what's going on. But Faith knows that Buffy knows. It's yep. just so transparent. <laughs> and seriously, the only thing Faith is missing is the sad little Charlie Brown tree. Aww. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> True. Why didn't they have that? 
That would have been incredible. Because that tree is actually fairly expensive, because I've had a couple of friends who have bought the little Charlie Brown tree, because they do make a recreation of it, and <laughs> it's not cheap. Oh, goodness. Yeah, the fact that she even tried to decorate her room with these cheapy Walmart, I mean, not that anything's bad with, like, cheapy lights, I'm not, you know, but, like, she's got this, like, lonely string of lights around her hotel, motel room, and she's alone, she and made that's an gonna... Yeah, it's 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 a and it's an attempt at comfort for herself. Well, I mean, also, I mean, Faith is in Sweatydale for Christmas, and she's somebody who's come out of Boston. So, mm. so yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's especially hard to look back and and as we go forward throughout the season to look back and see like Faith is still so redeemable here, and if yeah. somebody had made the effort that was necessary things wouldn't have happened the way they had oh yeah it's just oh god i get real real angry about faith yeah. <laughs> and again it's not joyce's responsibility and i'm sure she does and i love no. the point that she probably assumes that giles is taking care of this but even if joyce had you know asked about her more often and invited her more often again not blaming joyce because she doesn't have all the information mm-hmm. but like i would see that even just the slight relationship with joyce would be really beneficial to her and being more trusting and having that mother figure it would have been nice to see i mean we know that faith needs to be we know faith has to go on her journey yeah. I think a big thing with faith, faith being redeemable, is we talk about, you know, how we put some things on Giles and how we don't blame Joyce for this kind of stuff. And I mean, I'm not blaming Buffy at all when I say this, because I think Buffy has so many of her own issues. But I think the one person who could really have reached faith in this time is Buffy. The only problem is Buffy has so many of her own issues that the people around her Mm -hmm. aren't helping her deal with that Buffy can't help Faith at all. Because you can't help somebody else until you help yourself. Faith doesn't accept what help she does try to give her. That's true. Yeah. So She doesn't. not blaming Faith for that because I see she's in a certain place and that's how it is. But but that's part of the dynamic. I mean, they both have massive PTSD. Oh, yeah. Both of them. I mean, the Slayer lives in perpetual PTSD. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Buffy's not getting the help. Her friends are being kind of callous about things. And she's not talking about it. And how are you going to be Oz and be emotionally healthy when you just aren't getting the support or even working towards, you know, that kind of. Maybe Oz and Buffy need to sit down and talk about how to be emotionally honest. I was just going to say that, that Oz should just become, like, the emotional knapsack of, like, all of the scoops. (laughs) But it's not his responsibility to be emotional. I know it's not his responsibility. When you're emotionally healthy, it's not your business to be a knapsack. But, you know. I would just really like to have scenes of, like, Buffy and Oz and Faith and Oz. I want just more Oz scenes where, like, Oz is just... Well, yeah, come on. Super helpful. He might have stayed. Seth might have stayed if they gave him more scenes with other... Yeah, because that was, I think, his big problem, that he was just there. Everything centered around Willow and that relationship. This this Willow relationship. So, yeah. If they but that would be more. great, though. I would have loved to have seen that. It's like, welcome to the Sunnydale rap session. And, uh... <laughs> Three episodes of therapy. Oh, God. Um, this next scene, which is another one of my favorite scenes of this episode. And that's Angel going to visit Giles. Oh, Ripper face. Oh, my God. You know I like Ripper face. Giles is just so... F- I, I, I shouldn't say Giles. Anthony is so 
it good in this scene. He's so good. And yeah. So here's my note about this scene. Tony is so freaking good in the scene. And as much as David has improved. It shows that he's not. It pre- shows he's that not he's not, at the, not at the same level. It's a very unbalanced oh, well. scene. I love Giles' perspective. But there's sort of an imbalance. And there's there's stuff that David is doing in this episode that's like really. I, I mean, maybe it's bad directing and some bad dialogue right but like this whole like overwrought we know that david's going to be able to do better with quote unquote crazy acting and the whole mm-hmm. you know tortured tortured yes but it's not mm-hmm. it's so it's a little like he's just not hitting that quite and part of that's david and again and part of that is always direction i always put at least 50 percent of the blame on a director for not sort of massaging that performance yeah. out. Well, I so mean, get rid of that Joss Whedon guy. He <laughs> sucks. I think we've we've talked and we've praised David for last season, and mm-hmm. I do think that he got an acting coach, and I think his acting yeah. has improved quite a bit. But I also think a lot of his improvement was focused on playing evil, <clears throat> on playing yep. jealous, and mm. playing all of these different levels. It does take you know different skill sets, and I don't think he has quite gotten to the lesson on tortured acting yet. And, and you know what? I think David's <laughs> um, strength is not tortured acting. Yeah, I don't think that's strength. I think it's mm. this kind of actiony hero and also kind of sly, sarcastic, and dorky. Yeah, like mm. even his character on Bones can be kind of dorky with his belt buckle and his oh yeah, song, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And I, it's just not maybe unlike other actors who have like a more range of strengths. And again, it's we said this about Ali in an, a prior episode. It's not a knock on their acting. It's just some people have strengths, and Tony is glorious mm. in this mm. scene, though. Yeah, like, see, I think that's why I think it's it's kind of an unfair comparison because although David David has definitely won the most improved award on Buffy, like, <laughs> he's Tony, on a classic trained actor. Yeah, but 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 I mean, Tony is maybe mm. I should think this through more. But for now, I'm just going to say Tony is like the best actor on this series. Oh yeah, I would uh, agree. Yeah, with that. Yeah, he is, he's just he, fantastic. And when he's acting like with someone like Sarah, they have different training. Mm-hmm. Like he has theater or stage right. london British training and she didn't have as I mean I, I suspect Sarah's taken acting classes she's mm-hmm. you know but she's and been I, acting since she was yeah. five Sarah David has been acting a pro. since she was 25 yeah you know David got cast he was what 26 26 yeah. or 27 something like 26 that. or 27 in the first season of Angel I'm sorry Buffy Sarah is what 19 when she starts the show yeah. but she's also been acting since she was five or six. Yeah. And so there's definitely a level that they are both bringing that is just not there with David yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I, again, yeah. and it's not a total diss on his performance because part of it is the writing and part of it is not the right kind of direction he needs to get to a better in that acting. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Giles, desperate woman comment, but Giles with that motherfucking crossbow. <laughs> Oh God! See, you like the I was gonna make a desperate. I'm all into it. I'm like I was gonna make a desperate person comment there too because oh, with his shirt unbuttoned, sort of relaxing at home, so he's not quite as buttoned up, but still yeah. dressed up. Like Giles doesn't change into sweatpants yeah. at the end of the day. He still he just rolls his sleeves up and <laughs> and his 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 delivery and timing is just so good because Angel's like I, I can't come in and he comes back from around the corner and says I know and raises yeah. the crossbow. It's like the timing on that it's is so- just. It's perfect. 
And there's almost something Buffy-ish about some of his deliveries or some of his lines because when he's just like, and the funny just keeps coming. And it's like, that's, 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 you've been hanging out with Buffy for too long because that's He's been in in America way too long. (laughs) Yeah. The one, it's yeah. the one, it's the one thing. Uh, what's her name? The uh, ex watcher from Revelations, Gwendolyn wow. Post. Yes, it's so the one thing she's right about. He has been here too long. <laughs> and of course, we get an appearance from Rabia Lamorte oh, as, yes. as, as Jenny, and it's oh, she's so good. She is so good in I, this anytime episode. Anytime I see her, Adele just screams in my ear. I'm actually, I had, th- there's some parts where she's really good, but there's some parts, I, I think especially late in this ep- episode when she's talking to Buffy, that I was not completely sold on mm-hmm. her acting. But okay. I think a lot of that might actually come from Rabia is, between... Uh, season two and this appearance had become a born again Christian, and the subject she almost did come back. She almost didn't come back, and um, she was uncomfortable with the concept of the show in general. But she wanted to come back because she liked the character of Jenny, but she hadn't read the script before she agreed. And since the first evil is basically the devil, that she was so uncomfortable with that. So there are some scenes where she does very well, but I think later on when she's doing the whole like speech about how she's like the first evil and everything, mm-hmm. I-, I was feeling Rabia's uncomfortableness with playing the role. I yeah, I, that. I, I, that. I felt her performance was a little uneven, not 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 bad, but there were like there were some ups and downs. And and I think you're right that that speech and I think part of it is that speech is so kind of overblown and overwrought. Oh, it's also badly written. Yeah, it's just a bad. It's not a the, like the first at this point is a one off character. So they didn't put work into it yeah. very clearly. So it's she yeah, it's kind of she does. She's look back oh, she in her favorite dress, that dress is so beautiful and and just the way she's kind of hovering around giles and the and way she touches his arm does she touch his arm or does she just well kind of i like, mean she sort of look i mean she doesn't actually touch she, but she, she kind of just like you know the, the I'm, right. I'm making hand gestures and of course our listeners can't see oh, that. nobody can see that but right? she like skims over his not quite mm-hmm. touching and it's 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 beautiful and then of course you know and again Tony's Tony's acting here is just amazing. The, the whole looking around like she's not there, yeah, is just spot on. Which is very hard to do. It's yes, very hard to act. Yes, like very hard to not do. There. Especially like that close. Angel has this little you know freak out, and then we get into another flashback, which I have nothing oh. to say about this flashback because it's just such a sexualized attack, and so the yep. only thing I'm focusing on is that mustache. <laughs> <laughs> The hair, though. Oh, you get the accent and the mustache. Yeah. Yeah, my my only comment on this scene is, like, honestly, it's there just to play up the difference between Angelus and Angel. They're just, like, making Angelus so goddamn awful here. And, like, like making him extra awful today. (laughs) And one of the things that bothers me about this episode, and as you guys can guess, that there's a bunch of things that bother me about this episode... But we it's established in Angel that they're, Angelus and Darla were together a good deal of the time. Like, maybe not all the time, but yeah. certainly mm-hmm. considering how this is, you know, peppered through, like, Angelus's lifetime, that 
Darla should have turned up at one point. And honestly, I think they missed an opportunity having Darla appear as the first evil. Because if there was anybody who would have been able to really just lock in on all of Angel's insecurities and just Mm. everything, I think it was her. And we know that the first evil should have been able to take Darla's appearance because Darla Mm -hmm. is not only a vampire, but she's a dead vampire at this point. Are we back in that alternate universe where we wrote the show? I'm always in that alternate universe. Yes, I know. (laughs) know. Yeah, that would have been genius. I don't even think they thought of it, which is why you're way better. I I have way more stuff for this episode it's like and if i wrote it so we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. get into that but yeah the flashback all i was focused on i, I mean the hair wasn't good but the mustache superseded oh. it because that mustache was just it was that mustache mm-hmm. ice road trucker angel <laughs> <laughs> uh hey y'all i'm gonna kill you with my vampire teeth <laughs> he joins hey. them with the torches and they <laughs> recreate the well, maybe that and... was around the time that he hooked up with them because we know at some point that they or I don't I can't maybe remember we'll I don't really care to learn about the Gorch's history or whatever. Yeah, I mean this, this scene is really upsetting and I you know and even before he bites her before she knows that he's a vampire, the fact that she starts to acquiesce because she knows she has no other choice as a servant and yeah. because the it, it it yeah it's it's terrible yeah no this scene this scene, that's why i'm not talking about it this scene yep. is upsetting and even when you know it's treated as a kill it was very sexualized and it's cut off because of the you know sharing the dream with buffy but i think that it was not just a straight up kill from angelus yep. yeah i i was actually surprised that he just went for killing her yeah given well, the, the way show... the scene is going it's yeah. like the show always implies this stuff, but never. Yeah, that's yeah. Shows a, I, I'm I'm just gonna say it straight up. And jealous was a rapist. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they they sh- uh they imply it several times. They imply it enough that I think that they might as well have just stated it. So, uh, and this is kind of one of the first times that they show it straight up. And it's not the last yeah. time, and I fucking hate it. Yeah, no, it's awful. I mean, that's yeah. This is this yeah. scene is like I said. This scene is there just to make Angelus look yeah. even worse than usual. But we see that Buffy is in the dream as well, and that it is not just Angel having some strange dream, but they are actually having like this connected dream thing. I thought the lighting around Buffy when she appears is really interesting. It was not just to be, I don't think it was necessarily just to be anachronistic. This 20th century girl suddenly appearing in a 17th century dream. I don't know what the timeline is. They actually, this was Uh, one of the the, the few flashbacks that they don't actually put a... um, um, Not on that one. The one with uh, Daniel is 1838. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so yeah. 17th century. Yeah, um, 17th century. So, 18th century. Fuck it, I don't remember how that works. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, 17th century. Um, I, I thought it was a way to... She looks ethereal. She looks she angelic. She, she, she very like much does. Yeah. just making herself known. Yeah, it's, she, there, it's like, it's, it's not a spotlight, but it's there as a spotlight put on her to basically set her apart from everything <gasps> else. So it they, it's mm-hmm. like by making her dreamlike, they focus on the fact that she's the one real thing in the dream. And her bad hair. 
and her bad hair. It really hair. puts a spotlight on right. her. And it was almost ruined by the bangs. I, I just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those I, bangs are just going to haunt us. They're the worst things yeah. ever. Oh my, and, exactly. and it kind of reinforces the, 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 the feeling that she's intruding on the, oh, on yeah. the reminiscence. Yeah. Yeah, and after they've both woken up from a dream, then Angel is confronted by Jenny slash what we know is the first. And this is a scene that I really like. Rubia and I thought she did well. Backtracking a bit, I love that Angel is having these horrendous dreams and these visions, and he goes to Giles for help, and he has a vision, and he immediately goes home and goes to sleep <laughs> with his red yeah. velvet blanket. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fucking unreal. Of course, I'm just like, of course you have a red velvet blanket. You're such a mopey goth. He reads by firelight, uh, he absolutely confirmed has electricity at that fucking mansion. And also, and also by the that way, vision. The like we see that that exterior shot of the mansion, and like that is a weird mansion. It's like it looks Pretty like someone took a man. Someone it actually looks like someone took a mansion and a castle and kind of smashed them together. No, it's, it's Frank Lloyd Wright, isn't it? Huh? It's what? I think it's Frank, it's Frank Lloyd Wright. Wright. Yeah, and they've tried. They they don't make a copy of the inside of the house, but they do oh, use no. that. Um, David would be able to stand up in a Frank Lloyd Wright house. Right. Well, the individual bricks. I saw this on Tumblr the other day, and it wasn't talking about Ennis House, but it was talking about one of the other Frank Lloyd Lloyd Wright houses that use that 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 very particular brick that you see on the outside, and you also see it mirrored on Mm -hmm. the inside. Right. So they tried to keep that, and I I'm gonna have to look Mm -hmm. it up. But it's a style he did in like three or four of his houses. That same interlocking. Rick. I, yeah, again, I just saw it on Tumblr. Um, but yeah, the inside and outside of Enna's house, it, it's totally different. Go back and watch Blade Runner if you want to get a little more of a feel of what Enna's house looks like. Sorry, I just... It's it's okay. Um, I yeah, don't actually no have a lot of notes on this scene, so it, unless anybody else has... Oh, like, when she says, I want to die in bed surrounded by fat ground children, I know it's the first, but I'm still just like, oh. And the yep. way and the way Rabia delivers it so sarcastically is it, it that's good. I really like her. Mm, yeah, there are a lot of lines in this show specifically delivered to like I mean a hit, a palpable hit. You got you got Cordy with the yeah your mm-hmm. family's a bunch of drunks. I mean I'm gonna say it loudly and in public. <laughs> Sorry about your trauma. And then and then <laughs> this line is also it's it's mm. I don't know um it's it's obviously Joss and I mean of frankly, course it, yeah, yeah. It was a yeah. there is one thing we do have to realize about everything that's delivered by the first and maybe the first is making it up but actually I don't believe that but in um I think the second episode with Faith and I. Um, after they've uh, kicked Buffy out of the house and the mayor appears and the mayor says, it's right, I am the first but I'm also Richard Wilkins the third. So the first is somehow able to draw from the spirits of these real people. So I think Mm -hmm. everything that the first says even though it is is tinged through this, this first lens, it's absolutely what Jenny would have said in that situation, mm. so, which makes it really great. Yeah, cool. no, that's a great it, point. It's like they yeah. do; they pull from the memory of these mm-hmm. people they're inhabiting, and yeah, it, it, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's the way that Jenny would have said it. Giles and Buffy talk about Angel's dream, and Giles is a good guy <laughs> because yep. Giles is a good guy. Yes. Yeah, because as much as we poked at him for the faith thing earlier, he yeah. is a, 
good guy. Well, like I said, like Giles's number one priority is and always will be Buffy. And yep. as much as he hates Angel, and he has every reason to hate Angel, he's still going to research all of this stuff. Well, because one, he's a good watcher. But the main reason is because he knows that it matters to Buffy. So he wants to find out what's mm-hmm. going on. So and ultimately, he doesn't want her to have to kill him again because he knows how irreparably, they say that right, yeah. damaged that would make her for the, I mean, lots of damaging things happened to Buffy, but having to do that twice mm-hmm. would have been, I mean, she would not ever function as the same human being again. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think it would absolutely wreck her. And also, this scene is reminds me, it's like why I originally liked Xander as a character. Absolutely. Yeah, he's really, mm-hmm. really great. And I'm like, wow, I wish we saw this mm-hmm. more often because he's very humble and mm-hmm. he's very gentle. And I, part of it is that he doesn't want to be around his parents and he wants to be around the people he considers family who really love and understand him but he's being great this is yellow breaky crayon yeah. speech xander this it is, is yeah. the potential yeah. speech xander this is the xander that he will Peak eventually xander. grow into yes yeah but my question is how does he have this turnaround on an angel related subject so quickly it's so unmotivated it's it is the hanukkah spirit and i, I think get, i know but it's not it is a narratively, very, it is wholly unmotivated. It is a very jarring because we have not really seen Xander since that initial scene. Right. So yeah, it is jarring, but I will accept it because maybe like behind, you know, behind the scenes, you know, he realized he didn't want to be at home. He wanted to be with his family, and he realized it's like maybe I was being an asshole to Buffy because she was like legit worried. Yeah, I mean, he had, yeah, he doesn't want to be around his awful family, but, and sometimes in seeing how awful this group of people are, you you actually reflect a little bit on yourself and your own behavior, which I think he's done in between the last time we saw him and now, and realizes that the people that he loves and who really love him are in distress mm-hmm. right now, and yeah. he wants to alleviate that distress regardless of his personal feelings towards Angel, and mm-hmm. so I'm okay with that narrative and character jump. I really am. Um, I guess, and I, yeah, I, this is Xander I love, and Nikki plays it so well. Yeah, for me, it's it's just such a, a drastic reversal. By the time we get to the scene in Willie's bar, he's like just like like threatening Willie, and just like really, for want of a better way of putting it, taking Angel's side on this. And it's like I think he's taking it, Buffy's side on this. Yeah. I guess, but. It, it just seemed, it seems too extreme for me. It's like that he would be helping. Absolutely. I, I, again, it's, it, it's an issue of what I think is probably just not great writing. As a writer and a critic, I totally get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. As a watcher of the show, I'm just so happy that Xander is acting like a grown up, you know, mm-hmm. emotionally like competent human being that I'm, I accept the scene. <laughs> Well, I guess that's the thing. Is like at this point in the show, it's like that's so out of character. <laughs> I mean, we bag on yeah. Xander so much, but like, and he has so much talks to Megalini, and I want to shut him up and tape his mouth most of the time. But there's still, I still recognize there's a heart to Xander and a sensitivity underneath all that bullshit. So, mm. and I'm gonna say when he starts acting like this, I was like, Nikki, you're real hot in this episode. <laughs> 
Like, I, I don't know what it is. All of a sudden, I'm like, it's something about his sweaters just fit really well on his shoulders. I love that. A man, a dark-haired man in a sweater that makes his shoulders look really broad. It's my crack. Uh, apparently a cooling sweater because of the, the heat yes. that's coming through. Somehow. Right, he's got built-in cooling pockets. <laughs> I know. Fuck you guys in your sweaters. You should all be in shirt sleeves. That's a bad costuming and production decision. Have them in tiny tank tops, the women. Whatever. Right. No, guys in tiny tank tops too. But like just just in terms of the fashion of the nineties, women in tiny tank tops were a thing. Let's have it be uh, so warm that Giles, those, uh, sw- that Giles takes off the shorts. That Giles takes off the tweed and is just wearing like show. the undershirt that you know that Giles wears under there. Right. Yeah. And make the and, and direct your freaking actors to like show the heat. Yeah. They they comment on it, but they don't actually acting yeah which is Show, a direct, that's a total director thing yeah. that is absolutely i believe the directing on that yeah it reminds me of uh, they did a clip show episode of the simpsons once and they did it was a clip show to um, a valentine's episode where everybody on the simpsons is dressed exactly like they usually dress and so lisa makes a comment about that unseasonably warm valentine's day yes <laughs> yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, Willow ends up coming in because she's got nothing better to do. Um, cause she, I, I don't feel like Willow is aware of what's going on. She's kind of been caught up in everything in her life, but she gets to have a really nice conversation with Buffy. And I love this because I know like people will bring up the Bechdel test where it's like, they're talking about boys and everything. It's like, I don't care. My girls are bonding. Yeah, for sure. I will say that it's very reminiscent of the very first episode, second episode where Buffy's like carpe diem sees the moment and Willow immediately goes and finds a boy to run off with. And he ends up being a vamp. In this case, she takes Buffy's advice and you know what I mean? She's taking this advice very to much make in sure, the wrong direction. Right. <laughs> we will sure get that, into that. Once you know, we get that to Oz that is, scene. you know, I, and that's not, but I don't think that's Buffy's intention. Oh, no, not not at all. No. You should tell Oz how much he means to you by having sex with him. She's giving her really <laughs> great practical advice and Willow, of course, Runs to the thing, but you know that that's Willow's character. Sometimes she goes to the extreme of it, you know, of of what she's. Yeah, yeah, but I, it's it's a gorgeous scene, and I love them in it yeah, for sure. No, it's a really great scene. Honestly, I think Buffy was trying to tell Willow that Willow should tell Oz that she loves him because I don't think Willow has yeah, said that. Yet. That mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. But then we get to more torture between the first and Angel. And when I first saw this scene, I was a little thrown by the businessman because it's yeah. so incongruous. Right. But then I realized it's like, oh, shit, they're trying to tell us that Angelus did a lot more than just torture Buffy during his stint in Sunnydale. And that was actually yeah. very impactful Absolutely. when I realized that. Oh, oh, my gosh. I just realized that. Oh, I, okay. I was just like, wait, that t- I was going to say the time frame doesn't work is when did he, you know, by the right. time he got the gypsy. No. Oh, thank you for bringing something a very up 21 good example years later that I never realized of, before. Of, a very of, good example and an immediately following scene of show don't tell. Yeah. Why are you doing this so good? And so poorly simultaneously. Yeah. Yes. I don't understand. Yeah, and we also have some early installment weirdness because as you know, we were giving the first a pass with the scene with uh, as as Jenny with Giles, 
but when Jenny is with Angel, she straight up touches him. It's like there is she, no yeah, straight up. There's no getting around it. There, there's touching going on, and I mean, I don't think they actually mm. established that the first is non-corporeal in this episode, right? But no. it becomes such a center point of the character in season seven that it, it's glaring. But um, yeah, I was about to say, is it because he's dead? But the whole torturing Spike thing immediately, <laughs> immediately. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I mean, I've seen <clears throat> some people like try to fan wank it, where it's like, no, the first can just like concentrate really hard, like some ghosts no. do, and it's like, no. no, that goes against exactly what they said that the first just has no form. I think in this, it's it is early installment weirdness, where sometimes like when you have something first come up on a show, yeah. and you don't exactly know what's going on once you bring it bring it back again then you kind of get what's going on yeah. so i think that's just and they, they never knew that they were going to bring this back exactly yeah i mean that's the thing. So, it's exacerbated like, by that the, they didn't set up like hard fast rules for this because like they thought it was a one-off i mean okay let's face it the first evil in this is the ghost of christmas past that's yes. just yeah. what it is no it's the, uh, it, no, it's, it's yeah this is you know they just don't do the other parts of you know a christmas yeah carol. well the businessman is the ghost of corporate future so <laughs> <laughs> and then buffy and angel share a sexy dream you know bangle yeah. sex scenes are so harlequin romance lifetime movie of the week they just that's just yeah. kind of how they're always shot with a soft focus weird editing and uh, i have to admit i i kind of zoned out for a minute while that was going on i was just like uh-huh well, it was just like these really, really close-up shots so that you couldn't tell that it wasn't actually Sarah and David. Um, it wasn't actually Sarah and David? I, I have no idea. But I would assume if, for, like, the, the shirtless stuff, they might have had, like, body doubles. I don't think David I'm, needs I'm, a body I'm, double. I'm just, I'm just teasing, mostly. Okay. But, yeah. I mean, considering you never see their faces once, like, the shirts come off and stuff, and it's all very close-up. Mm. I mean, maybe Which is the same way they shot the sex scene for um innocence yeah, no. but yeah but yeah sexy 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 and they're both having the dream and the first again there's so many of my notes for what the scene breakdowns are and it just says the first taunts angel and sometimes i'll like who is actually <laughs> playing the first and they're trying to kill like in trying to get him to bite buffy they're killing killing two birds with one stone you take angel out and you take buffy out okay mm -hmm. so should i get into my theory now about what the third first plan is for this episode because yes okay please i'll take anything at this point <laughs> well i i have a huge like the first and, and it comes up in this scene that the first takes credit for bringing angel back and giles in the next scene says that you know the the first had the power to do it i do not believe this at all I have said this on several other podcasts. I fully believe it was Jasmine that did it. But that doesn't explain what the first is exactly doing in this scene. But right. if you actually think about it, if think of this as a prelude to season seven and everything that goes down in that season, the first says here that you know she wants Angel to kill, or I say she because it was Jenny. Uh, the first yeah. wants Angel to kill Buffy. But then when Angel says that he'll, he'll kill himself instead, the first says, well, that'll do. If you think about what happens in Chosen, it's Buffy working together with a vampire with a soul that brings the first down. And I think mm -hmm. possibly oh. the first knows that. 
that, mm-hmm. you know, it's both of them working together. It's a different vampire with a soul than the first, you know, thought, because at the time there was only Angel. But yeah, that's what I think is going on. And actually, um, and yeah, I'll just give out, you know, my whole theory. This episode and season four, uh, season four of Angel and season seven of Buffy, I like to think of like the plot line they never actually bring up, and it's just my theory. It's like a cosmic chess game between the first evil and Jasmine, because both of them are actually trying to go for very, they're both trying to go for global domination, but the first evil's on the side of dark and Jasmine's on the side of light and everything that happens like these different moves, especially in this episode, the, with the first evil taking credit for bringing angel back, but I think it was Jasmine. And then the very end, when we have the snowfall, Joss has admitted that it was the powers that be that did that. I was going to say it's the powers. My notes say it's the powers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's I, my, my belief was always that it was the powers that be that brought angel back. But Jasmine actually makes a lot of sense. Again, your theory actually is, I'm going to take it and it's going to be mine now. uh, (laughs) Because I initially thought that the first was taking the long view and Angel's part in assuming he was a champion, yes, but ultimately bringing what was necessary in order for Spike to, to do that. I thought that was the reason the first wanted to get Angel out of the way so he wouldn't be able to find that amulet. He wouldn't be able to be able to bring him to Sunnydale and either sacrifice himself or put Spike in position, but specifically Spike. But yeah, the idea that it's a vampire with a soul, that makes more sense because getting into specifically Angel bringing the amulet so that Spike can use it is, is real specific. <laughs> yeah. It's a, you know, it's a great theory and I actually take that as my canon now because you've explained things in a way that makes all of it make so much more sense Mm -hmm. than the writers ever give us because (laughs) I don't know when you're on a production schedule sometimes you don't have time to sit down and 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 but it's it's such a nice way to look at the long game on both Mm -hmm. the series Mm -hmm. and the repercussions of that within and it makes it a lot more logical when you get to season four of Angel and a season seven of Buffy mm-hmm. that I just, I just, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is one of my those theories. My best friend is brilliant. My best oh, friend is brilliant. Thank you. I mean, I'm not trying to blow smoke up my own butt, but it is one of those theories where if I had the chance to tell it to Joss, I'm sure he would go. Yes, like, let's go oh, with that. No, I don't think, I think it would be like, let's go with that. Yeah. I totally meant to do that. <laughs> like, no, you didn't, but okay. Yeah. Giles does find out about you know the first evil and we find out about the bringers slash the harbingers and as i said before i prefer calling them the harbingers and i actually got into like some fights online during season seven because they kept (laughs) calling them the bringers and i was like i really liked when they called them the harbingers because it just sounds more sinister than the bringers one of the reasons I really like this episode, not really like, but like I like it, is this great scene in the library where they're all researching over the books because it's that's the kind of thing I live for, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. With, and there's no agenda from anyone. And the only agenda is helping Buffy and, and solving this thing. And there's no snittiness. There's no, they're just working really hard. Willow and Xander. Mm-hmm. And researching and Giles and putting aside a lot of their bullshit. That is the Hanukkah spirit. That is our holiday spirit <laughs> right right there. And I do love that. One of the things about this scene is that it's actually so old school. This is season one. 
Buffy because it like is, yeah. uh, Cordelia is removed from this episode very early on and Oz only appears to serve Willow's story personal storyline. Angel is obviously the person that they're trying to help so he doesn't appear in there. So this is just our core Scoobies trying to work out a thing. And mm-hmm. I also, think it does come off. Yeah. Also beats. Also beats. Also beats. Yeah. No, I I love the I love the little slide beats line. And then we make it to the bar, right? We, yes, we do. Buffy and Xander go to Willie's, and I thought Xander and Willie were really funny together. And I yeah. think, yeah, <laughs> Nikki, Nikki's obviously. Oh, sorry, Xander's trying to do like a hard-boiled, oh yeah, detective. Oh yeah, way, and it's just, uh, and it's the thing where he's just like, I was real intimidated by you, man. And then Xander, who's trying to be really hard, he's like, <laughs> really, so were you? He's like so happy and validated by yeah. the fact that he was intimidating, which he wasn't. And of course, I we, love, I love the. It's so that. cute. It's we, we also get like so the brief cute. moment of him being a 17 year old boy trying to get alcohol and then Buffy like gives him a look and he's like, I'm looking for a tall glass of, of information. Of information. Yeah. <laughs> information. Great line. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then they go outside again and talk about how hot it is in their long sleeves. Yeah. Yeah. And also, Wait. I know Xander is trying to comfort Buffy, but going off and celebrating Christmas is not a good plan. I mean, at this point, they know who they're facing. It's the first fucking evil, which we find out in season seven is a really big deal. Well, I think that's the thing is it's not presented as as big a deal here. Yeah, but I mean, like the uh, Watsonian versus Doyleist from a Watsonian perspective, it should be a big deal. Like Mm -hmm. as soon as Giles finds out that it's the first evil, he should have taken like a bigger stance. It it just shows that they did not Mm -hmm. have plans. So No. But yeah. Uh so Yeah, I I just think that scene is just a little bit of comedy gold right in there with Mm -hmm. uh what is it, Guerrero Savio who plays Willie? What's his name? Uh I will Guerrero is the last Saviero Guerrero. Saviero yeah. He's great, and I love oh, him, and I, I'm Willie's sad he's wonderful. I he love Willie. I love Willie. I do, too. He's a, I'm a big fan of Willie. And Xander, and Nikki is so funny. Yeah, he is one of those nice characters that they pepper throughout the show. I think this, is this the first time we've seen him since What's My Line? I think so, and we don't see so. him much after, oh, I can't remember what season where he disappears, because he got a series. He yeah. got a serious regular job He leaves on Becker. Yeah, I was going to say he turns up a couple of times in season four, and then we still see Willie's, but, you know, we just well, don't, we don't see there. Willie because yeah. an actor's going to take a series regular gig oh, yeah. over sure. a recurring role that you don't know when you're going to be seeing yeah. him. So. Uh, but I do like him, and I like that actor. He shows up. He's a that guy. Yeah. I still see him and stuff, so it's and, a good scene. And then we get into the Oz and Willow scene, which is, again, <laughs> I love this scene. But I uh. have a few questions. Um, where are Willow's parents? She says they're out of town. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. She says at the beginning of the episode. Okay. She I, said my folks are out of town. Oz is going to come over on Christmas Eve. Okay. I totally missed that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So her it's, neglectful parents. It's in the I mean, library scene. Yeah. I'm sure her parents were like, oh, Willow's fine. She's a good girl. She'll just mm-hmm. study. She's I'm not like, going to well, invite a boy know, over and probably. You know nothing about teenagers. And try to seduce him. No. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, and you know I, like willow like totally prepared everything like she went out and like bought a box of condoms and everything oh and, yeah no question i mean because we just played barry white so i love the barry and white you, thing and you i know really, that she had to go out and the barry working too 
<laughs> she had to go and get that because Willow does not have any Barry White. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and her parents are might. not cool enough to have any Barry White either. Uh, so, I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. I, I, first I mean, of all, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I own any Barry. So. Oh, I own tons of Barry White. Well, I love Barry White. I'm Thank actually, you for taking the slack. I'm actually going to bet that Willow went to whatever CD store was around in 1998 yeah. and picked up a compilation of, you know, like sexy, sexy time songs. Yeah, basically. Yes. So I had a, I had a, a coworker. Um, this was, I worked at the department of black programs at my university as my work study job as a research assistant, but I had this wonderful colleague and <laughs> she would call this begging music. <laughs> we were, I, we were talking about boys to men She's like, oh, this begging music, like begging. She's like, Barry White. Barry White was my generation's because she was a little older. My generation's begging music. Yeah. And I, when he starts talking on songs, I'm just so delighted. I'm using mm. my first, my last, my everything. It's on my mm. wedding playlist for when I finally get to have a wedding. Because mm. so, first of all, I always love hearing Barry. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's hilarious because it's such a stereotype of what people listen oh, to yeah. Yeah. when I- they get it on. When I hear this kind of stuff, I immediately think of Craig Robertson from Brooklyn Nine-Nine when he's playing Dungeon. Oh my god. And he's like, songs just about to bring up that line. (laughs) Songs about smushing. Songs (laughs) smush too. (laughs) (laughs) And songs for the kids here at the All Ages Piano Bar. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I was like, is he saying smush? Is he saying smush? I can't remember. He I don't want to make the joke. Smush. He's not saying smush. But I could, I could it, is, it is totally smush. No, um, I mean, Barry White is de rigueur for this kind of scene. It's it is. It is. Totally. You you have to use Barry White. Yeah. Or the theme from A Summer Place, but Willow doesn't actually Well, that's the thing. That. That's my my problem with this scene. I know. I, 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 like, she looks great in that dress, and Barry White is classic, and, you know, your go-to for this. But there's no feather boa and there's no theme to a summer place. And I'm sad they didn't do that. Here's the thing. If they had used a theme from a summer place, Oz totally would have gone for it. Oh, oh, of course. And Oz <laughs> cannot go for it because, and we will get into this now, this is the worst idea Willow could have. It, it is. And it's like, it is Oz. Willow is actually very, very lucky that Oz is a sterling human being because if they had slept together in this episode their relationship would not have lasted much longer are we sure they don't sleep together oh yeah they do not yeah no because they they make a point that willows is a virginity in the graduation episodes yeah it's like a very uh, big point and in doppelgangland she actually does mention that she plans on dying a virgin okay Mm -hmm. because because they do like the last time we see them they are in a bed together i Think that in different yeah, clothes and I, not in the, clo- the same clothing. I think that so. they end up reaching a point of emotional and physical intimacy mm-hmm. before sex in this. Yeah, I, I mean, so, I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying that I'm sure they had sex because of that. It's just like the way it's the way it's shown. It's like, uh, it makes it less certain. For okay. me. But 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 if we have further information down the line, that's right. So then yeah, okay. We have they do not have penetrative sex. That does not mean that they do not right. have some kind of sexual have activity. Sex. Yes. I mean, and we the, the our culture is so 
messed up on this whole stupid what constitutes sex. Well, and also, in this, we know they don't go they don't go all the way, but I think they do have. And they talked about the half Monty in a couple episodes before. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, they okay. they, yep. they do something, well, and it's also, intimate and loving. This was reason. this was Not, 1998, which was kind of yeah. the height of, you know, Bill Clinton. You know, it's not actually sex. So yeah, mm-hmm. true, and yeah, I, I mean, I think, and I love that. Oz says that he's not ready. Yeah. For as much as this show, and it's going to get real problematic with how they treat their male characters and sexual assault. But in this case, it's actually this lovely, like, she says, well, you have before. Like, they established that Oz has had sex before in the yep. scene, but he doesn't want to now because he's not ready. Yeah. And, the and thing that's is, lovely to hear. It actually takes losing virginity is always treated as something very serious. But just because somebody has lost their virginity doesn't mean that sleeping with somebody for the first time is not a big deal. It's you know, And he specifically change. says, this is different. Yeah. One interesting thing about this scene is when Oz comes in and he says, have you ever been in that, pl- that had that dream yes. where you're in a play and it's the middle of a play and you don't know your lines and you kind of don't know the plot? That's exactly mm-hmm. what happens to Willow <laughs> and Restless. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, you're right. That is exactly mm-hmm. what. Yeah, and I, I love how he says, "Do that." You know, she says, "You know, do that thing," and he's like, "You know, if you can't say what it is, you're not ready to." Have I that. I have that exact note. If you can't say and the I thing, told, you're not ready to have the thing. I've told children not that, and I wasn't quoting Oz, and I didn't even realize it at the time. But if you cannot name it and talk about it reasonably, responsibly, and as an adult, you are not ready to do it. Yeah, and I actually think probably between this and Graduation Day Part 2, Willow and Oz probably do have that conversation because things... Yeah. And I mean, they might have had the conversation further in this, just that we don't see because it's, you know, 1998 and they're not going to have people, frankly, talking about sex. Well, and also, you know, you've got 40-something minutes to do an episode and that's like... Yeah. You know, and and, and I, I do not doubt that Willow and Oz are taking their relationship in steps. The half Monty, the full Monty, but without the others. You know, like, I think that they're, I actually think they're sexually active, but because of this whole stupidness around loss of virginity, we're not calling it sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, and, you know, sleeping with someone is, can be just as much if not intimate than actually fucking someone. Oh, yeah. For our listeners at home, I think it's safe to say that everybody on this podcast believes that virginity is a social construct and it doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just to hit Which that is point what up. we're getting exactly. at. Basically, yes. Yeah. Just let's hit it over the head just a couple of times. I really do like the phrase, make your sexual debut. But it also has its its problems because <laughs> because you do, I mean, it's it's canon within the context at this point of the show and in the timeline that they've been intimate sexually, but probably not penetrative sex. And I don't know why I'm rehashing everything. I've just been sitting here quietly because you've all been saying what I've been thinking because I really love Oz. It bums me out that we just don't get him for all seven seasons because yeah. of the kind of levity and a maturity to the show that you don't even see in the adults that yeah. you'll see. We'll, we'll see an earshot um, when, when, when Buffy gives Joyce, well, I guess she's not giving her shit, but she's shocked about Joyce and Giles having sex you know, there's f- there are a few people in this this show that are as frank as mm-hmm. Oz, and I think this is one of his best moments. Well, Oz is the best. I think Oz, Oz is, is the best. I, I I mean, there's the phrase "too good for the sinful world." 
And I think Oz has that, where it's like, if we had kept him around on the show, they would not have been able to keep him like this. Um, and it's, um, it's, yeah, and I right. mean, like they, they start. And we um, see a taste of that. Yeah, we do see a taste yeah. of that once we get, get into like season four. Uh, and yeah, I think like a lot of the characters that people say are so good, like Oz and Tara, part of it, you know, all of Willow's partners, a lot of it does come from the fact that there is an abbreviated look at them. So we don't get the time. Like, say, with Spike, where a character might overstay their welcome, and we start to get into some things that we don't particularly like from them in, you know, the name of character development. Yeah, so, and because so. there only seems to be one one writer that exists in television that is not only willing, but good at writing characters who are just, like, happy with each other. <laughs> and I'm looking at, is it Mike Dan Shore? Is that... Mike, Mike Shore. Mike Shore, that's right. Yeah, it's Mike literally Shore. the only person who's like, I want them to be happy. Is that okay with you? We're going to do it anyway. Bye. Yeah. And yeah. there's still going to be conflict. And there's some of the best relationships have, on TV. And you can have conflict mm-hmm. within a relationship without breaking up a relationship. Thank you, Mike Shore. You are Absolutely. golden. I really I, need to watch yeah. more Mike Shore shows. Yeah. I, I mean, I've talked about characters, you know, writing too much of themselves into things. And I think a lot of that comes out with Joss when it comes to his writing of relationships. Joss did not come from a happy home. And I think he tries to work out so many of his issues when it comes to his writing of relationships on on Buffy and to a lesser extent Angel. But particularly on Buffy, where it's like nobody's allowed to be happy because relationships aren't happy and they're not interesting to write if they're happy. And fuck you, Mm. you can totally... Especially on something like this, where it's the battle of good versus evil. It's like, if you cannot make the battle of good versus evil interesting without making people miserable, you're doing it wrong. That's a really good point. I I, I rarely take Joss's motivation into... Which is ridiculous, because he's he's created these characters... um, I just see them weirdly separate in a lot of ways. That's a that's a really good point as to why this is such a theme on this show. So, but more importantly, what do you think of Willow's dress? Willow's it's dress is I fantastic. Like it. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Like it's sexy, but it's not out of character for Willow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's mm-hmm. sure. It, it's not it, like she's put is it on. Velvet? It's velvet. So, yeah. Well, it's that crushed velvety kind of very nineties crushed nineties polyester crushed velvet that. I had dresses not like Willow's because I do not have the same figure as Allie Hannigan, but I certainly had a lot of velvet dresses. Yeah. And it's Straight that down. super yeah, low um, cut where it's just like, she, like you know she, what she's there to do. Like, yeah, I yeah. want to talk. I want to give props again to to costuming um, because even in this season when Willow's maybe even sometimes not with a lot of forethought taking initiative to do things that are more mature things and, and further along in her storyline. Um, like whatever the episode is in the future where, um, she gets captured by the mayor when they're trying to steal the box of Gavra. Uh, I believe um, that's choice. She's also wearing enemies choices. Yeah. Oh, she's enemies. also wearing a rad choices. crushed velvet dress. Yeah. And, um, looking pretty hot and awesome in uh, something that's very willow, but also not, hilarious ugly sweaters or overalls mm-hmm. um and oh when we get to that dress that is my six very favorite willow oh, outfit of all so time so except so for the musical it's my very favorite willow of all time yeah. uh so mm-hmm. we should yep. probably move on to the next scene which is Buffy, yeah. joyce and faith and i i'm kind of shocked that so the summers have a working fireplace 
I mean, okay, maybe they would have a working fireplace, but the fact that they have it set up enough to, like, actually burn logs in it, like, yeah. you have to go out and get logs, and if they're in the middle of a, like, is Joyce just that devoted to the idea of this traditional Christmas that she's gonna go out and buy cut wood? Yeah, I mean, it's not that hard yeah. to get cut wood. You can buy it, like, in front of Walmart. Aesthetic. MC aesthetic. Uh, okay. Aesthetic. You're like, we we have cut wood Do around here and people buy it for various things in the middle of winter, which has not been winter lately. But yeah, no aesthetic. It's aesthetic. It's really, the Christmas aesthetic. That's a really vague thing to say, Andy. Well, I gotta be honest. You know, people just buy wood for various things <laughs> What are they it's, burning? It's, what it's are they burning? Cut- it's to cook their meth on. I am from Albuquerque. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I also, I mean, this is a personal thing for me, but I get weirded out by people who have more than one tree topper. Because, you know, like Joyce is asking, oh, really? do, do, do you want, you know, a star or the angel on top? And in my entire life, you know, 35 years of life, we have never had anything different on top of our tree. And we have neither an angel or a star on top. We actually have um, uh, a puppet, like it's a hand puppet of Punch from Punch and Judy. Mm-hmm. And we always put that on top of the tree. Granted, it's just like a weird tradition that we have. And not everybody has like traditions that, you know, like that. I know some people buy you know, new angels every year, but I, I, I am somehow mistrustful of people. <laughs> my mom does themed christmas trees now we've we worked out a thing where every other year my brother and i we get to do tacky christmas trees you know like homemade ornaments and shitty lights and it's just great um but this year this past christmas with the kids um we put a a t-rex on top of the tree nice i mean see (laughs) that that's where i can see changing it up right you do something for kids or for whatever to yeah to be like okay we're gonna this is gonna be funny but yeah i don't know we had the same tree chopper for years until it broke and we got a new one so i love this scene where you know faith is really opening herself up and saying and admitting there wasn't a party there wasn't and buffy's trying here too but i hate oh poor faith it breaks my heart again when she's like hey i brought your presents they're real crappy and then she tells joyce again oh they're real crappy I, I, it's faith is so great in this like scene she's, because she's opening up, but she's still remaining faith because she, uh, she says that party looked like it was going to be dead, and it's like here I brought you presents, I'm reaching out to you, but they're crappy, so they're crappy, yeah. But the she's, way she says crappy is, I love it. It's so Boston. <laughs> she she is doing that thing that damaged kids do, where they're um, lowering expectations so that yeah. uh, so yeah. that um, the people around them are less likely to be disappointed in them, which mm. I think was a really nice touch. She, she was, she's reaching out, but then she's protecting herself in the same moment. And it's beautiful. Um, I love that faith is in this episode and it's nice that faith is able to just be in an episode and not have to be the center point of it. That They just accept that faith yeah. is in this world, but she is wasted. In this episode. But I do, I do <laughs> like that when, when Buffy has to run off, like faith is like, yeah, I'll protect your mom. Do what you have to do, and yeah, and okay. and I do like that Buffy says she will explain everything later. I promise. I don't know that she does, but uh, she probably does. I probably mean, there's probably does. a debris. Yeah, but yeah. so that which is good because I mean that's part. I mean, part of Faith's problem is that she keeps getting left out of stuff. And I think part of it is is Faith's character. You know, she's like, yeah, I'm willing to protect people, not just because it's my job at this particular moment. I think maybe because she's just 
probably at this moment fond of the Summers clan, but um, also she understands. It's a it's a good moment where you see how much they understand each other because they're the only two who are experiencing this mm-hmm. this life. Yeah. Buffy does have <clears throat> her encounter with uh, Angel being very unhinged, and go, that go, scene go. is just so melodramatic it and coherent. Yeah, I just don't even have much to say about it. Yeah, and then she goes to see Giles and basically say that they're losing Angel. And all of this, like, this ending is really where I start... The beginning of this episode was fine. It wasn't something I was really that interested in, but it was okay. But kind of everything from Angel... you know, being really unhinged and then disappearing, and then everything from then on, it's like uh, this episode's lost me at this point. I love Buffy and Giles working together, and Giles's line, You're rebels, they're rebels, and they'll never, never be good. Yeah, that's a good, <laughs> good. Line. When he quotes, Yeah, I'm like, so snarky. Oh, troll Giles, I love you. Uh, I love that. But, and I love that Buffy goes detective and realizes and puts together the Christmas tree lot yep. because we don't get that from her. That much, but what I'm trying to figure out is like why Giles doesn't go with her for a backup. She's like runs, you know, she's like, and then she's alone, gonna fight these things. And I know Giles is not like the best fighter, he's not bad. Why there's no call to faith, why there's why Giles doesn't follow it her. Entire, she needs to be alone. It is entirely she needs the to Watsonian be alone. versus the Doyleist, yeah. It is the Watsonian versus the Doyleist. Yeah. Well, like well, I get why Faith doesn't go. Because she's watching right. after she's Joyce. Yeah, she's, she's watching, watching Joyce. Over. But and Giles, I don't know. I mean, how dangerous are the bringers anyway? Pretty. Uh, they're really semi. They, the plot. they are semi dangerous. They are probably no more dangerous than your average vampire. So I think oh, Giles, Giles would be able to do pretty well against them. I mean, Giles was able to take one of them out because he had squeaky shoes. And <laughs> right. And it was sneaking up on them. So I don't think they're that difficult. And I don't think they need to be that difficult because when we do hear the bringer talk through Andrew, they say that basically they're just drones. They are, you know, a drop in the ocean mm-hmm. or whatever flowery language they use, but they're, they're pawns. They're, they're not important enough to be too powerful. Right. Well, that's, that's the thing. Like when I asked like how, how dangerous they are, I mean, my thought was maybe Giles figures Buffy can just handle them. I mean, yeah, that might <laughs> yeah, be it. No, I mean, yeah, I just, it was just weird to me, but yeah. we got to get them alone. Yeah. That's the thing. The well, perspective, the production perspective is we got to get Angel and Buffy yeah. alone. And I mean, um, like I've already, we get to the scene with uh, Buffy and the first talking to each other. And like I said, this scene is where I have a problem with Rubia's acting. I don't think it was a well-written scene, and I feel like her um, hesitance in the role was coming out. And yeah, mostly it was badly written. All right, I get it. Your evil is a favorite, though. It, that's yeah. a, that's a good line. Yeah. Well, it's be, it's so dismissive of the fact that this ending is so overwrought, and so that line just kind of takes the sails out of all of the overwroughtness. It does in a in a good in way, a good you know. Way. It's just like they know that pattering on and on, you know. And and Buffy does; she undercuts that kind of big dramatic melodramatic moment quite often in her of dialogue. Course. But she, then it's going to get more overwrought. Of course, she may do that just because it's like, hey, my big melodramatic scene's coming up in a minute. You need to shut up. <laughs> true, true. So interesting bit of trivia. The place where Angel tries to kill himself is Kingsman's Kingsman's Bluff, 
which is the location of the temp- Temple of Prospexa. So that's also mm-hmm. not only is this scene where Buffy and Angel have their big moment and, you know, the powers that be make it snow, but it's also the location of the yellow breaky crayon speech. And Buffy <laughs> basically gets her own yellow breaky crayon speech in here. Yes. It's, it's not as good not as, as yellow breaky. I mean, yellow breaky crayon speech is like amazing, mm-hmm. but she sort of gets that. And okay. Thinking back on my life, this isn't going to be a big revelation. I remember being really touched by this episode at 23. And I remember being a lot more invested in the bangle thing than I am now. Now I'm just like, oh my God, even if you weren't a vampire, you'd be super creepy. Because again, I am kind of on board with writers put in front of me a lot of times saying, this is what we think the relationship is. And if I want to see another relationship, I go read fanfic. And I'm pretty much okay with what's put on the screen for most part. Yeah. And so I think I was pretty invested now, when I go back and watch it at Christmas, I'm like, uh, I'm just kind of going to play on my phone during this melodramatic stuff and enjoy the Oz and Willow and enjoy the snow and sort of the meaning of that. At the time in season three, because I knew it was ending, I was sort of invested in the disillusion of this relationship mm-hmm. and how that was going to play out. Because at this point in my life, my romantic entanglements were pretty fucking melodramatic and happening quite frequently so that whole letting go of someone you really love because it's never going to work held my investment now my investment is in people like oz Mm -hmm. or wash from firefly because they're good stable people that talk about their feelings but i liked a brooder i liked a good brooder Uh, (laughs) like i said before it's like i'm not like a super keen on this episode but there are some really good lines from joss and if he thinks that it's some of his best writing it's like okay like i can totally understand that and a lot of um buffy speech is that it has some very good writing in it and i particularly want to call out one of angel's lines when he does say it's not the monster in me that needs to be killed it's the man that's very good writing yeah mm-hmm. I, and and that is that not the line it's not the demon in me it's it's the man is that not the line that joss really sort of holds up as i think so his, yeah that that scans I, I considering if you can take how these characters behave and sort of make assumptions about the person who created them that makes sense with the way it appears that joss often views himself mm-hmm. rather um and especially since it's not something I ever knew, the the reality of Joss's childhood, it, it makes sense. You you do, if you do come from a, a broken home, you do feel oftentimes that there's just something in you that needs to, to go away. Mm-hmm. And I can see how that translates into Angel's <laughs> melodrama. Yeah, I mean, I was never really invested in the Bangle relationship, so that's, I think, why a lot of the emotional re- I think Sarah does an amazing job with because I mean Sarah al- always tends to knock stuff out of the park especially when it when it's very emotional but and especially when it comes to Angel Sarah yeah. Michelle Geller feels like Angel and Buffy belonged together yeah I think part of my problem though with this is that this comes so soon after Lover's Walk because yeah. Lover's Walk we had this big emotional thing where it's like we can't be together and in the wish, mm-hmm. we don't see them interacting with each other because that's all set in an alternate dimension. And then all of a sudden in this, it's like, no, we're actually going to be together because we love each other so much. And it kind of reminds me of the thing with with Oz and Willow, because you've really like, I think both of those relationship beats 
needed a little more time to breathe. But because of everything that's coming up, I think they had to, like, we need to do this now. I'm a little bit more okay with it than I am uh, with Oz and Willow than I am with Angel and Buffy. One, because uh, Willow and Oz being apart from each other hurts my heart. Uh, But also because of the the stakes of their relationship because willow Mm. and oz as close as they are their relationship has not progressed and i'm not talking about sexually i'm talking about emotionally they are not like i said i don't think that willow has told oz that she loves him Uh, i don't think that they have quite progressed to the point of this doomed love where we love each other so much and it's it's not a life or death situation in terms of their love right. yeah willow and oz's relationship does not i mean it has consequences for our characters in the world but it does not have cosmic consequences mm-hmm. no i in mean the I same th- way the buffy and angel have absolutely cosmic consequences yeah no i definitely i definitely don't feel the oz willow storyline mm-hmm. suffers as much from being hurried but it's a similar hurrying fair enough yeah can we talk about the snow? <laughs> I, you know, as a Christmas episode, I, I kind of like when it starts snowing. I just, it, my heart goes aw. But I'm a sappy, sappy, sappy human being. I have a question about mechanics. Okay. Uh, my name is David. <laughs> <laughs> so in Angel, the um, glass that Wolfram and Hart put in the vehicles and in the buildings, they say that, do they say, it's been a while since I've watched, um, do they say it filters UV rays? It's called necro-tempered glass, so I'm guessing it's something mystical. Okay, cool. Because, you Hence know... necro. What the fuck is it that burns vampires? Is it direct sunlight? There's still sun when there are clouds in the they sky. They don't really get into it. Like, yeah, I don't understand. And I don't understand how there would be, how the snow would create enough clouds that the, the sun would not rise. That's not you, really... You, how you can work. actually get a worse sunburn outside when it's cold and snowy. <laughs> But they do actually literally have the weatherman say, you will not see the sun today. My favorite part of this this snowfall comes in the Angel episode, The Price, actually, over Mm -hmm. on Angel, where Angel is brooding over the fact that Connor is not there and he's holding up a snow globe that he has bought for baby Connor. And he's he's brooding and it's like it never snows in California and Cordelia says it did once. That's the, the biggest thing that I actually get from this Aww, scene. Nice callback. Yeah. yeah, I mean, coming from a climate where we don't get we have never had a true white Christmas. There's been snow on the ground and quite a bit of it, but never actual snowfall on Christmas. So anytime there's this like snowy deus ex machina in like freaking hallmark and lifetime and but in any kind of thing it just hits that part of my new mexican heart that sings white christmas all the time and makes up new lyrics about just like the ones i'll never know you know well i think that's what it is i think we could start getting into our final thoughts on this episode and it's like I do not care for this episode as a episode of Buffy, really. It's, but as a Christmas special, I'm like, I watch this every fucking year and it's like, it fills my heart with holiday joy, but almost Buffy is the type of show where a Christmas themed episode does not work just i would agree because it's so incongruous Mm. with the things that they do so it's like 
uh, you know, it's it's cool for me to watch at Christmas, but when I'm actually doing like a rewatch of the show, this is one that I might skip. You know what? I skip it because I've seen it so many times for Christmas. There's that, yeah. When it comes to shows that do like dedicated holiday episodes, you get that feel when we do Buffy's birthday. You know, or Halloween. You get that, yeah, yeah, and Halloween episodes. You get those repetitive. These are our special holiday episodes, or well, in the case of Buffy trauma episodes but um just i just wanted to have a nice birthday ma'am just a nice quiet maybe some wine <laughs> or maybe i just want a nice quiet birthday <laughs> with some uh, wine yeah <laughs> with some wine um yeah it's but it, it is it's, a, it's just a weird episode making it a christmas episode specifically when they haven't done it before and they don't yeah. don't do it again again so yeah i'm there with you it's odd. Five final thoughts are like, yes, as an episode of Buffy and how it plays into mythology and how it plays onto the arc of the season, skippable. Uh, except for the except for the the Oz and Willow, which I love the freaking Barry White scene and the mm-hmm. you know the getting back together scene in the classroom. Yeah, it's not my favorite episode by a long shot. Again, mm-hmm. I do watch it every holiday because I don't celebrate celebrate Christmas because I'm not a Christian. And I'm not super into celebrating it because I don't like celebrating the secular version of a holiday that I don't believe in myself. You know, it's just, that's just personal mm-hmm. worldview stuff. But I do enjoy watching a ton of holiday episodes of my favorite shows. That's sort of my personal celebration. Mm-hmm. So for that, and because I'm a small sap, I 75% like this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> specific. Specific number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess for me, it's it's an episode. No, I mean, it's like, I don't particularly dislike it. I don't particularly like it. It's, it's an episode. It, yeah. A lot of it kind of just does what it has to do. And it's like, yeah, fine. Yeah. And there is some there is some nice stuff here and there, but it's like, it's I think fine. I, do, uh, I like the montage at the end. It's very sweet and sappy. Where you Actually, see Will and Oz and you see Xander and you see Giles. I, you know. I think I'm my sad. biggest problem is the, the last shot of Buffy and Angel. It just goes on forever, and it's like, it just feels really long, and like, yeah, okay, Buffy and Angel are back together now. I got that within the first three seconds of that shot. (laughs) And then it just, they just keep walking, and you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Oh, no. This is not a doctor. If they're going to blank you the set in in snow, they want you to damn well see it. Oh, yeah. That's true. That's true. (laughs) For a long time. This episode, like, I have my theories, which I've already given out, and those theories make this episode a lot more palpable to me, but in my head, there's this little voice that says, that's not what they meant to do. <laughs> no, no. It makes, it, it makes the <laughs> whole thing better for me, so thank you. I can now view this Let's in a see. totally different light, so I love it. Eventually, I'm just going to, like, if one week we don't feel like recording, we're just going to have a clip show where it's just me with my weird-ass theories. I love it. I'm all for it. And, you know, again, I'm going to say to our listeners, let us know your favorite holiday episodes of shows in the comments on YouTube, on Tumblr, on Facebook, because we want to know, because maybe we can pick up a cool new holiday-themed episode that we don't know about or forgot about. From other shows. So my other favorite is whatever holiday, whatever. My very favorite holiday episode is the Supernatural Christmas episode. I love that one. Uh, I was going to say like, yeah, 
any freaking holiday you want because it does not have to be Christmas because True. somebody mentioned like the Brooklyn Nine Nine Halloween episodes because those ones are oh, always amazing. So great. They're so 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 great. Galentine's Day is my personal favorite holiday outside of Dia de los Muertos. So you can talk about Galentine's Day and Parks and Rec. But yeah, we want to, what I'm saying is we want to hear from y'all. Yes. And we want to hear what, yes, like, we, we always want to hear We from love us. you. And also tell us your weird theories about how things all yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, We're always up for weird theories. Anyways, on, on that note, we should probably go until next week and next week we'll be reviewing gingerbread and we find out that willow actually has a parent willow does have a parent yeah (laughs) and the reparents of amy madison so until then grr arg we wish you a merry grr arg grr arg andy took mine grr arg I'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. If you'd like your questions or comments read on the show, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube, Tumblr, and Facebook at Return to the Hellmouth, on Twitter at Hellmouth Return, or on email at returntothehellmouth at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read your comments on the show. Be sure to rate our show at iTunes and Stitcher, and check out our show merchandise on TeePublic and Redbubble. See you on Tuesday. Grr.